0: The scripture reading today is taken from John 2019 to 31. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Again, if I've not had the chance to meet you, my name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City Church. Um, It's my joy to bring you the Word of God this morning from the Gospel of John. And just a word about that, we've been in John uh, the last couple of times we met together. If you were at the Good Friday service on Friday, we were in the Gospel of John, spending a lot of time in John. Uh, Our readings this morning have mostly been taken from John, and in particular John 20, where we read the account of Jesus' resurrection. One of the questions we've been asking, and I've been uh, put, I put to you last week about uh, Holy Week, this time as we are with Jesus, uh, as he goes to his final moments at his crucifixion and towards the resurrection, we've been asking the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And then what do we make of him in our lives? And I've been saying the answer to that question, I think, is the most important uh, answer that we can have in our lives. What we think of Jesus, who he is, um, what we make of him in these stories of his crucifixion and resurrection. I want to pray together now as we begin to look at this particular passage in the end of John at the resurrection, that the Lord would work, that God in his power and by his spirit would would cause us to have renewed faith in Jesus, that we would believe in the one that he has sent, the one that he has sent to give us life, to forgive our sins, to bring us into relationship with God. Would you pray with me? Well, Father, we we do. We come to you right now and we we confess that we are a needy people. (laughs) Lord, you created us to be in relationship with you and we need you. And this morning, we need you to work powerfully by your Holy Spirit to open our eyes. Lord, for those that have known Jesus for a long time in this room, I pray that you would open their eyes and renew their faith in Jesus Christ who has risen from the dead. Lord, for those who have not yet tasted the life that is in Jesus. Father, I pray for them right now. Would you cause your spirit to work in their hearts, to cause them to hunger and thirst for a life that can only be had in Jesus? Would you show them your goodness and your kindness? We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, today... You're not going to find anybody who doubts death. You walk the streets of Vancouver, you have conversations with with folks and the suffering of this world, nobody doubts death. But I think it's true that we do despair at times of life. Nobody doubts death, but we do despair of life. A theologian named Don Carson, is a Canadian theologian, he writes a lot about the Bible and, and the studies of the scriptures. He once said, um, the reality is that if we live life long enough, we will suffer. He says the only exception is not living long enough. Maybe some of you are here, we have, I know not all the kids have gone off to the kids ministry this morning, maybe some of you haven't lived long enough to know that life is hard when suffering comes, so often in our lives, it is crushing. It's crushing. It's that tightness in our chest. We feel like if we could let ourselves, we'd weep for days and, and we, we can't even work ourselves up to, to maybe even expressing our emotions. That the pain is just too heavy. Whether it's suffering that's caused by the bitterness of our own sin, the ways that we've hurt other people. We see the the consequences or the ways that other people in their own sin have hurt us and we just feel so crushed by the realities of what we're facing. Or Whether it's suffering that comes as you drive up to the graveside to say goodbye to the person that you love. The person oftentimes who is ripped from your embrace far too early. Or the suffering that comes in saying goodbye to the one you love that you've never met. See, we all feel the bitter sting of death. Today, with a war raging in Ukraine, with massive refugee crisis in the east, and Afghanistan, with mass shootings in the news recently, it's not difficult to see that death is all around. In those moments, what could possibly wipe away the tears from our eyes? Only the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ said, he is risen. All right, let's try that again. Let's try that again. So, so this is the classic church response. You say, he is risen. Is that like that rap thing? You know, I say, you say, I say, you say, he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen Amen. He is risen indeed. This morning, I have one job. I have one job, and it's the best job in the whole world. It's to proclaim to you, to everyone here, that in this world of death, you can have true hope. That in this world of death, there is life and hope to be found somewhere. It's to be found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to see hope. And the life this morning, as you look together at Jesus, as you look together to see the tears that he shed while he was on earth with us. As you look at the teaching that he left with his disciples, the teaching that he imparts to us through his word, and as you look at the reality of his resurrection. So look first with me at his tears. You see, it's true that in moments of our deepest and darkest despair, only the presence of God can comfort us. There's nothing else that we will do. Only the presence of a good and loving God can comfort us. It's what David wrote about in maybe the most famous Psalm of all in Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Presence of God in our suffering. There's a beautiful words. Many of you treasure these words. Many people know Psalm 23, but Christ said, the beginning of the good news about Jesus is that in Jesus, these words put on flesh and bones and walked among us. Because in John 11, we see Psalm 23 come alive as Jesus himself, as God himself goes to a funeral. It's a funeral of a friend, that he deeply loved. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, we read, was close friends with Martha and Mary and their brother Lazarus. In John 11, verse 5, John writes, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And Lazarus gets sick, we read in John 11, and suddenly he dies. But God was not distant. Jesus, the good shepherd, was with Martha and Mary in the valley of the shadow of death. And at the graveside, God incarnate, God in the person of Jesus, wept for the death of his friend. John 11, 33 to 36 says this. When Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Jesus, who is God most high, come to earth in love for his creation to save us. God wept at the gravesite of Lazarus. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. You know, growing up, In my home, every time we had a birthday, uh, my mom said the family would sing a song, and they sing a song to this mournful tune—a song that my dad. I didn't realize my dad was going to be here this morning. My dad's here uh, when I was going to share this story right during the sermon. But, but a song that my dad hated—he hated it when we sing this song because the song was this: sorrow, sickness, and despair. People dying everywhere. Happy birthday. And you'd repeat it, sorrow, sickness, and despair, people dying everywhere, happy birthday. <laughs> my dad hated it, and I thought it was super funny, because all the relatives would sing it, and my dad would be upset, you know, and, and here's where we're going. And, uh, and I thought it was funny. I think actually, if I'm honest, I thought it was funny because, because I was young, because I hadn't suffered yet. see, Christ said, ours is a world that's chock full of sorrow and suffering and despair. And to deal with it, we've invented gallows humor. To deal with it, we try to joke it away or ignore it. But our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, he didn't joke the pain away. See, God isn't ashamed to look death in the face and to weep with us. To weep with us in the suffering that you're going through. And this morning, I want you to know this, whatever you're going through and whatever suffering you're carrying with you into this room, there is a God who loves you. He wants to be with you by his spirit in your suffering. See, God isn't ashamed of tears. And he's honest about the darkness and the pain. He weeps and he cares for us. And the thing about God's tears, the thing about Jesus' tears, is they're not powerless in their compassion. They're not powerless. Our tears, we cry, we weep, we feel the pain, and then we feel helpless. God doesn't feel helpless. God does not feel helpless. And in the final hours before Jesus was crucified, he'd gathered his disciples together. They're in the upper room and most of the book of John is this upper room discourse where Jesus is just sitting with his disciples and talking with his disciples. He ate the Passover meal with his disciples. They had a final meal. He washes his disciples' feet to teach them that the love that I'm showing to you, you now must show to others. And he teaches them. And he teaches that in the bitterest suffering that they were about to go through, that there would be hope. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. The world will rejoice, by the way, because of Jesus' crucifixion. That's what he's talking about, having rejected him. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. In John 16, he says, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And as Jesus says these words, his disciples, they don't understand. They don't understand. And they haven't yet believed in Jesus and what he's been telling them about himself. And in John 16, 29 to 32, we read this His disciples said, We believe that you came from God, Jesus. And Jesus answers them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you'll be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. And of course, after seeing Jesus crucified, what happened? Well, his prophecy, his words, they came true. The disciples had scattered, and and he was left alone, just like Jesus had said. And they were scattered for a good reason. It's hard to imagine, I think, what the disciples must have gone through that, that holy Saturday, that first Saturday. It's just quiet. And the one they loved and had lived for was dead and they'd seen it happen. And hadn't it been only a week before the crowds had shouted, Hosanna to the son of David? Had it been only a week before that they were jubilant with joy that the king had come into Jerusalem? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, Mary and Martha had wept with Jesus when Lazarus died, but on Saturday, the disciples wept alone. And then on Sunday, Mary returned to the garden. Look at John 20 verses 1 to 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John, by the way. That's that's the one, John, who wrote this account of Jesus' life and death, this gospel. He refers to himself often this way, the one who Jesus loved one whom Jesus loved. And she said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple, it's John, he outran Peter and he reached the tomb first. He's being humble in his running, I guess. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloth but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. John believes, I don't think he totally understands yet, even with the empty tomb in front of him. And with Jesus' words ringing in their ears, these disciples, they go home. Grace city. who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's the most important question. Who is Jesus? Is he just a man who lived in this world and who taught some good things? Or is he who he said he is? Is he the one that that John is proclaiming to us throughout this letter, who is God in flesh, come to give us life, the one that John has now seen and is testifying to us over and over and over again, let me tell you about Jesus. I want you to know that he is life with a capital L. From the beginning of the gospel, John has been telling us over and over and over again, I've seen him, I've heard him teach. I watched his resurrection. I know that he is life with a capital L and you cannot kill life. John wrote so much about this Jesus. I'm just going to read you text after text after text right now. We'll see what John says about Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things are made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. And Jesus himself says in John 4, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus again in John 5, truly, truly I say to you an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Again, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Do you hunger and thirst this morning for life? This is the will of my father that everyone who looks in the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. See, with the empty tomb right in front of them and these words ringing in their ears, the disciples did not yet fully understand. And they went home. And Mary stayed behind at the tomb, weeping. John 20, verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As I've been thinking about this passage and about John, it's been hitting me. I think John twenty eleven has to be some of the saddest words ever written. I, I think in a lot of ways, Mary stands outside of that tomb in the place of every human being who has once hoped in something and then despaired. every human being who's begun to hope that that there might be life and then had it snatched from their hands. Jesus said to his disciples in this world, you will have trouble and he was right. And apart from the resurrection of Jesus, the only thing that we ought to be doing in this world is weeping. There isn't hope anywhere else, friends. Death comes for us all. For all of our loved ones. And then there's this reality that that sometimes we struggle to put a name to, but the Bible does. It calls it sin, which is a spiritual death that is in this world. And not just out there, but it's in here. somehow we don't do the things that we'd like to be doing. We can see something better for ourselves and constantly get pulled out in our desires to do things that, that cause harm to ourselves and, and hurt others around us. See, apart from the resurrection, there is no joy, there's only sorrow. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the beginning of the end of all of our tears. Look at John 20 11 to 16, and our last point, Jesus' resurrection. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord and I I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni. Which means teacher. I want you to close your eyes with me for a moment. And imagine the despair of Mary confessing her love for Jesus and weeping because his body was stolen. The Savior that she loved was gone. Grief upon grief, insult to injury. And then a familiar voice calls out, Why are you weeping? See, Jesus isn't just asking for information. He's speaking to her as her resurrected Lord and beloved Savior who knows the reason for her tears are no more. And the most loving rebuke of all says, woman, why are you crying? Christ is risen. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Christ is risen He asks, why are you weeping? And he fills Mary's sorrowful heart with joy and with life as he calls her by her name, Mary. Mary. Friends, the resurrected Jesus Christ has not just called Mary's name this morning. He's calling the names of everyone who's beginning to place their hope in him. See, what happened at that resurrection was that death was defeated. Satan was defeated. Sin was crushed. Jesus was risen high above all things. And all that could stand against the goodness and the glory of God to bring life into this world was placed firmly beneath his feet. And he reigns in life. But because he reigns in life, what he's done is he's pouring out the same spirit that raised him from the dead, the power of God that lifted him from death into the hearts of all those who turn to Jesus in faith. So that his life, his power, his authority, the freedom that only he knows are at work in his church. See that first resurrection moment was like the dam breaking loose on the ocean of God's life to flood outwards into this world. It's like the spring. And you see the first crocus coming up, the first snowdrop, you know, spring's here because that first resurrection signals all that's going to come all the tulips and the daffodils and the, the cherry blossoms and the rhododendrons, the azaleas, as spring bursts forth in life because of that first life. And when Jesus rose, he called Mary's name. That was just the beginning because he's met us too with his life. Dad, he's called your name. And Jonathan, he's called yours. Noah, he's called your name. And Melina, he's called you into life. Clint and Zahn, he's called you into his life. Gareth and Van and Unison, Sue, Stephen, Jeremy, Sarah, Felix, Nancy, he's called you into life. He's called you into life. He speaks your name. And we don't see him like Mary did, but we love him. First Peter Chapter 1, verses 8 to 9 talks about that love. As though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Jesus is churning our sorrows to joy. He's churning our weeping into dancing. You see, because of Jesus' resurrection, he's not just with Mary and Martha in the sorrows they faced. Because of Jesus' resurrection by his Holy Spirit, he is with us in our weeping and our tears right now. Because of his resurrection, he doesn't just stop Mary's weeping with the words of eternal life and joy forever that Christ is risen. He meets us Presently in our suffering with the power of his resurrection. Giving you life, life to say no to sin, to say yes to loving God and living your life in love for others. Because of the resurrection, Jesus is coming again soon and will soon wipe away all of our tears forever and ever as we're resurrected to live with him eternally. John wrote the same author that wrote this gospel, he wrote years later in Revelation 21 verses three to four, the dwelling place of God will be with man. He will dwell with us and we will be his people. And God himself will be with us as our God. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Grace City, Jesus is alive. Christ is risen, and He's currently calling people to life in this church. I want to turn now and, and celebrate with you in some of those lives. Some of the names that he's recently called to new life. We're going to watch uh, our testimony videos because we're going to go to our baptisms at 1.30 after this down on Kitts Beach. and We're going to see the way that God is calling people to life right now. He's still at work. He's still at work presently in this church. So watch these videos. They're not just people in this congregation. Some of the people in this congregation who are getting baptized and have a chance to record testimony. So we're going to sort all of that out and it, you'll, we'll celebrate all of it soon, but Here's what we have uh, from Christ City, Kitsilano, Christ City, South Vancouver, and Christ City, East Vancouver, and the new life that we have in Christ. Let's watch together.
0: My life before knowing Jesus was hopeless, a mess, and having grown in the Roman Catholic Church, it was just a striving to prove myself through works. A friend first invited me to attend a reformed evangelical church, and that's when I first heard that I'm saved by grace through faith. And that's not my own doing, but it's the gift of God. The Lord has really rooted my identity in Him, uh, especially thinking of Romans 8 verse one, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I wanna get baptized today because Jesus Christ saved my life and He's Lord over it and will be forever. And I want to proclaim that.
2: I met Jesus when I was 12 and I was coming in and out of church and when I was 21, I came back to church and Jesus helped me out with uh, to quit alcohol, uh, cigarettes, drugs, and sexual immorality. What I noticed is that I was not living fully as Jesus um, told me to live. So what happened is that I decided to follow Him fully. I don't feel like I should have this or I should do that in order to be someone. Um, Jesus has given me identity and for that same reason I want to be baptized and I want to proclaim as who he is which is the Lord, my Savior, and my everything.
3: I accepted Jesus into my heart at a young age but I never really took Christ seriously until I realized at school that my friends weren't being very nice and I guess I wasn't being very nice either and until I read Mark 12 30 which says love your neighbor as you love yourself and I realized I wasn't doing that very well. I feel happy because I've been devoting myself more to him and spending more time with him through praying and the Bible. I want to be baptized because I want to show publicly that I believe in the gospel and I believe God's work and I feel like it's also a next step in my faith.
4: Before coming to Christ, my life was very focused on the materialistic things of this world, Uh, seeking after job, uh, career, money, relationships, and just trying to find fulfillment in life, Um, but ultimately not finding it at all. Uh, A friend from the church I grew up in sent me a video breaking down the historical evidence for the Bible. Uh, One night I was looking through that video series while I was actually high on weed, and God completely used that to show me a vision of what heaven is and what hell is. And I never saw any, like, actual imagery of it, but I just felt a sense of pure self, and a sense of pure love and pure godliness. And I knew at that moment that I needed to change my life. I need to stop focusing on things of this world and focus more on God. I'm now focused on just learning more about Jesus, learning more about God, what he's done, um, and just fellowshipping with other brothers and sisters, getting to know other people's stories and learning from them and sharing with them and just growing as a body. For me, baptism is a step of obedience. So to me, it's the next big thing I wanna do in my life, but also it feels like I wanna do it the right way. Uh, When I first became a Christian during COVID, I did my baptism in my bathtub over a call with a bunch of strangers I didn't actually know. And now that I'm part of a church, I wanna come back to that and do it in front of everyone and pledge a clear conscience before God in front of the whole body.
3: I came to Christ um, at a very young age, growing up in a Christian family. But because I was so young, I didn't really know and understand what it meant to be a Christian. Um, I learned that over time throughout high school, throughout university, um, and going to church, listening to different sermons, and really trying to understand what what does it mean to be a Christian versus a good enough Christian. I feel so much more free and loved in Christ. I feel like I have a purpose, I feel joy and peace, and I have this amount of love that I just want to spread out to everyone else. I want to be baptized to publicly declare my dedication to Christ, um, to be able to tell and show everyone that I am here for Christ, to run to Christ um, and run with him as well.
5: So my life before Christ was very unstable. I was anxious and uncertain. I was pretty much looking for grounding in anything but Christ and as a result I was very burdened. I was very troubled by that. I was diagnosed with obsessive compulsive disorder in university. I had a lot of fear about contamination and my safety and well-being. At that time I reached out to God and asked for help uh, and he did deliver on that help. Um, Stubbornly at the time in hindsight I walked away from God thinking that I could handle things on my own after that. Uh, years later though, I realized that that wasn't true. I had a very difficult relationship breakup and once again found myself on my back. So I reached out to God and He was faithful to me and He delivered me once again. And that time around I, I really realized that, that I needed Christ, I needed God, I, I wasn't enough on my own. Um, and so He really gave me that stability, that rock to stand on. My life after Christ has been markedly different. He's given me relief from my burdens. Um, He cares about my anxieties. He's lifted me up from the trenches and I I feel at peace with, with Christ. I want to be baptized because I want to publicly express my faith. I want to be a good witness. I want to share my testimony. And I want to share the joy of being baptized. I want to feel what it feels like to to share that with the world and to know that Christ is my rock and that uh, I can proclaim that good message of truth.
6: I received Christ into my heart in my early preachings, but I didn't really critically think about what it meant to be a Christian. I struggled a bit in high school with um, loneliness and trying to fulfill a desire to seek approval. In the new transient setting of university life, I wasn't surrounded by the same groups of people anymore that I was in high school and allowed me to take some time to reflect on my own of what it really meant to live my life as a Christian and what role that God had for me. I want to be baptized because I want to declare my faith in Jesus and recognize that He died on the cross for my sins out of His unconditional love for me, and I want to dedicate the rest of my life following Christ and acting as a servant of God.
7: I came to Christ when I was seven. I was blessed to be raised in a family of all Christians, and ever since then, I knew of God. I filled my insecurities with relationships, with friends, shopping, uh, sports, work, and I thought I could do it all by myself. Uh, Two years ago, I felt like I lost a lot. I was struggling, and I looked up and asked God for help, and He pulled me out. Everything I do now, I'm more happy. Everything I do, I bring glory to God. So my thoughts, my actions, it's God-centered. I want to proclaim my love for Jesus in front of everyone. I want them to see how God has worked in my life, and I want to bring glory to God that
3: way. Before coming to Christ, my life was very lonely, uh, very sad. It came from a broken, blended family, and it really wasn't worth living. A friend I hold in very high esteem uh, had an experience that brought them to Christ. From that point on, I just became more and more interested and eventually, when the churches opened back up, uh, we were so excited to join one, and Christ City was the first one that I have ever been to. Since coming to Christ, my life has been so filled with love and unexpected blessings, and just people I didn't know I needed in my life, and I don't think I could ever go back. I want to be baptized because I'm looking forward to washing away the person and the life I used to have and moving forward with Jesus by my side.
0: Uh, I grew up in a Christian home uh, with believing parents. And although my change was very gradual, this is the grace of God who granted me with a loving and believing family. As a Christian, I feel more freedom. I can live how God intended me to live. I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. I want to be baptized to publicly proclaim that I put my faith and trust in Christ and I want to live that life that he created me to live.
7: Um, My life before Christ was just filled with uh, a lot of anxiety, bouts of depression, and I would turn to really unhealthy coping mechanisms to try and fix those um, feelings that I was having and um, to fill a void of hopelessness. Um, and worthlessness and I just felt very lost and confused in my life. I came to Christ through um, my boyfriend primarily. Um, He uh, pushed me to explore Christianity and after exploring a little bit, I had some really um, awesome and intense moments with God and from there on I just knew that Jesus was my savior. My anxieties and my depressions are Um, a lot more at ease because I have Jesus to turn to rather than unhealthy coping mechanisms. I feel a sense of hope and a sense of worth in my life and I've overall just been a lot more driven and a lot happier and I'm so thankful for that. I want to be baptized because I want to have the closest relationship to Jesus as I can and I want to make a proclamation that I'm committing my life to him. So, I was born into a Christian home with two amazing parents that always took me to Sunday uh, every week, Um, and there I really learned the story of Jesus and God, but didn't fully understand what it meant to be a Christian or how that impacted my life. As a young teen, I began going to summer camp every year, and that's when I really started my personal relationship with Jesus, and from there on out, uh, God just continued to provide mentors and community around me to continue help me to grow my faith. I want to get baptized today uh, because I know I've been saved by Jesus' sacrifice, and I want this to be a decoration and a commitment to my faith and to continue living my life for God.
2: For most of my life, I was stuck in a vortex of... Substance addiction, so just kind of lost, wandering around, full of angst and anxiety, unhappy, not having any meaning to my life. I came to Christ because, uh, well, first of all, God is a large part of the 12-step recovery program. And then early in my recovery, I went looking around for a church to just uh, so I can know more and learn more. I love the exuberance of uh, Christians at the church. and. Uh, I wanted some of what they had. I have hope and I have periods of joy, something I've never experienced before. I never had any hope. I never had any kind of direction. I am excited. I'm excited to see what, uh, you know, what God's got in store for my life, what I can do, who I can help. I've just been isolating and alone my whole life, never felt, ever felt a part of anything. And so now I have this rich community at the church and it's just really exciting. I think maybe that's what maybe God intended the whole time. I want to be baptized because I want to make a proclamation to the church and indeed to the world that I'm, I'm anew in, in Jesus. And I want to shed my old life, which was very unpleasant and unhappy indeed, and start a new life anew as a follower of Jesus.